ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am Constitutional Attorney Catherine Henry, and this is Restore Freedom Weekly. We are at Season 2, Episode 20 already. It's hard to believe. Um, but uh, I notice I have a little bit of a lag here, so give me a second. Um, hmm. Well, not sure how to turn off the the uh, what it's trying to do in in a virtual background here. So, um, and I'm not sure where. Uh, where Lori is and the technical glitches and things. Um, so maybe we can, um, uh, maybe we can get it figured out, but uh, I guess you guys will just have to tell me if you could see and hear me okay. Um, I'm gonna turn it off one more time just to see if I can get something to work here. Um, okay. Well, it is what it is. So, all right. Well, thank you, Red Scout, for letting me know. Um, I guess we will go ahead and get started for the day. Um, oops, I have to click the right screen. That's helpful. All right. Uh, and hello to John on YouTube as well. Thanks for joining us. So we've had a lot going on. Well, uh, certainly in the um, in the last three weeks. Um, but, um, sorry guys, it looks like Lori is trying to message me. Let's see. All right. Um, so, um, we've had a lot going on in the last few weeks, in the last few years, <laughs> uh, personally and in the freedom fight. And, um, I, um, I like to make sure that I'm sharing the knowledge that I have uh, with all of you. I like to make sure that if I'm gonna spend uh, 100 hours on a given particular legal issue or project or whatever, fighting for freedom in some sort of way, that those hours are not gonna go in vain and only serve my interests, but instead can serve your interests and help you protect your rights. Um, I had the pleasure of speaking at two different freedom fighting events in Michigan last week when we were um, when we were up in Michigan, and um, it was great to be able to see that many people, uh, you know, still fighting the freedom fight. But one thing I wanted to make sure, even to those people who were in person, face to face with me, was to tell them that they can't depend on attorneys to do everything for them. They can't depend on judges to um, restore their freedom uh, to protect their rights, even though that's what they're supposed to be doing. We, the people, have to be in control of our own freedom. We have to fight for our rights and the rights of our children and our loved ones. And so um, that's exactly what uh, today's show is going to be all about. It's going to be about protecting your rights before and during an appeal. Now, a lot of you might think, gosh, you know, this, this show has been focusing a lot on being in court or representing yourself. And gosh, you know, maybe you haven't ever had to really go to court before. Maybe you don't think that you uh, will end up in court. But let me tell you, the things that we're talking about have actually not been things where it's initiated by someone such as myself or freedom fighters like our friend Foshin or... Acura Amanda or Palm Beach Free Press or any of those individuals that we've talked to. Um, we're just people that are out there um, just trying to fight the good fight in a lot of respects, but the court proceedings have been brought down on us by government officials. Um, so it, it's about being able to, to stand up and fight for yourself if they bring the fight to you. 
So it's, it's not something that we could just think of, well, I don't ever intend to, you know, do things where I'm going to be arrested or I'm going to have the government come after me. Uh, let's look at our house here. We literally are just living our lives at our house and the city is deciding that they're going to violate countless state laws, federal laws, uh, constitutional provisions, even the own, their own city code and trying to come after us and literally take, physically take, rip out of the ground our property and destroy it and then charge us for doing that. I mean, the most absurd things, right? Um, and literally, what have we done? Have we created some sort of circus or some sort of monstrosity uh, that is impacting the neighbors around us in some sort of negative way? No, no, it's not like we put in a business that's attracting far too many customers for a residential area or that we've done XYZ to impact our neighbors uh, negatively. No, in fact, uh, two of the three things are that we did on our property were things that the city code required us to do. We're required to park on um, paved uh, pavers or concrete or some sort of paved parking surface and not allowed to park on grass here. And so we put the pavers in, but now they want to rip them out. And we're required to have a garage, uh, even though our house was built in 1949 and has no garage. There's no grandfathering clause. So we put what they have considered a garage, and now they're saying they're going to rip it out. So my point is, this stuff is stuff that they come to you. Your government, maybe it's your local township or village or city, um, is, is potentially at some point, if they haven't already, come knocking at your door tell you you're not allowed to do something that strikes you as really i don't have the right to do that most likely you do if you're not harming anybody else most likely you have the right to do what you've been doing on your own property or on your own time and it's the government who's wrong but we can't expect the government to do self-policing and we can't expect attorneys to be able to fix all the problems so uh, this might not be as riveting on the edge of your seat kind of material that you would find in your, um, you know, other podcasts or things that you listen to or watch, but Hey, what are you going to do? Turn on Fox news now. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, I want to take a moment to quick, uh, catch up on, Oh my Lord. Um, on all the comments here coming in from the various platforms, someone says, I need help with some audits. I did. I am being aggressively and maliciously prosecuted. Um, and I can't tell Northern Corruption or something. I can't tell the full uh, YouTube username there. But uh, um, and loved my peace with Rogue Nation. Um, I don't remember what that one was. <laughs> so you'd have to remind me. And if that can help you at all or we could pull material from whatever that topic was, uh, please let me know. Um, okay, so... Um, all right. looks like we do have Liberty Lori joining us backstage. I don't know if she can, I can't see or hear her, um, her screen looks blacked out. So, oh, there she is. Okay. We're going to throw Lori on just for a second here, or maybe not. What is it doing? I'm here. <laughs> okay. There we go. I couldn't. No. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I guess we're fighting about who has to be on screen today because this is not the thing that we ever envisioned ourselves doing. Um, Lori, I had to move you to the top there for a minute because it wasn't allowing me to see the black box. Oh, it must have lagged out or something. Yeah, I was I was waiting for you. I thought you were running late. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was like, well, I'll check YouTube because I was going to comment. She'll be with us any minute. And but I somehow got back in, so that's good. Okay. Um, <laughs> that that Rogue Nation was from November 21, when you were still or around in there. Um, November 2021? Yeah. Oh. You were talking about your case. Oh, okay. In your alien case, not this case. Okay. Okay, I think I remember that now. It's been a long couple of years, though. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, All right. Uh, hello to the Liberty Cost. Thanks for joining us today. Um, <laughs> John, no, Lori was not put in the closet, but I'm not sure where that got <laughs> Um 
Okay, so the, there's a question from Northern, I'm assuming it's corruption, can't see the whole name, but um, hi, how can I make prosecutor put videos into discovery? I have two videos. I'm not sure what you mean by that. If you're saying that you have two videos, but you know there are more, um, then that's obviously answering one question, but are you saying you want um, the two videos that you have introduced as evidence? So if you can clarify what your question is, I might be able to help you with that. Um, all right. And, oh, looked like I had caught up and then it just jumped a whole bunch. Um, there was a new Supreme Court case um, that might help you. Uh, yeah, if you want to let me know what case, let me know. Um, at the very least, uh, I want to try to get people aware of what's coming out from the U.S. Supreme Court and sometimes state Supreme Court decisions so people know uh, what's going on. Not that we should put all our weight in the courts and in course precedent. Certainly there's no such thing as case law, but it is important to know what's going on in the government around us and what new bills have been passed, what new cases have come out, so we know what we're up against. Um, certainly if we can use their own tools against them, even more the better. So, um, Yes, local governments are completely rogue and out of control, unfortunately. Hello to Big Bad John on YouTube. And um, how silly it is to equate freedom with authoritarian collectivism. I am not sure what that's in response to. So can't help you with that because I, I don't see any comments that look like it was addressing that nor anything that I said. But OK, Northern Corruption. Um, Yes, my two video sources have not been put into evidence from First Amendment audits. Um, some strange noise right outside my door. Not sure what that is. At any rate, um, so if you're trying to put videos into evidence, you can introduce videos at trial into evidence or through a motion or um, depending on what it is you're trying to do. The, you can't force the prosecutor to introduce uh, certain evidence at trial. The only obligation they might have is to disclose certain exculpatory evidence to you. Um, or if you are in Michigan and you are following the court rules in Chapter 6 about discovery and, uh, and they fail to comply, you can file a motion to compel discovery. I have examples of all that on the website, restorefreedomkh.com slash resources, and go to the case documents tab, uh, specifically the Allegan case. You'll see all kinds of stuff that I had in there about um, forcing discovery to be uh, disclosed to me. And you can use those, has all the court rules and statutes and constitutional provisions that you can use to support that position. Um, another question from Big Bad John. If a cop gives you a lawful order, how do you know it's really lawful? And if you have doubts, do you comply anyway? Um, Big Bad John, that is a very good question. I guess I'll go ahead and put it on here for now. Um, yeah, that is, I mean, it really, it depends on what it is. Because if it's not lawful, if it's something that you absolutely have the right to do, um, then you could choose not to comply. Um, you still might get arrested and have to fight for your freedom, uh, depending on what the situation is. But um, if it's determined to be not a lawful order, um, I, I guess th there's two ways about it, right? Because you could choose to, uh, either way, whether it is a lawful order or not, if you think it's not a lawful order, you could choose to comply with it or not comply with it. Um, if they decide they're going to be full of machismo and uh, want to show you who's boss, then they might go ahead and try to arrest you for resisting or obstructing or whatever the charge in your state might be called in that situation. Um, and really, it's you're still going to have to fight back in an uphill battle, so to speak, um, regarding that. So it's it's more of a preference thing because it's it's just not black and white. I... I generally, it just depends, again, on the situation, but I generally would hold my ground and let them know what the law was, hence me being arrested <laughs> in Allegan County in, in 2020, um, because I refused to let them bully me or the people I was there representing into um, giving up rights that we clearly had. So it just depends on um, on that. So. Um, Let's see. Uh, Did you um, see 
Northern Corruption added, well, I hope my lawyer does that. What are what can you do as a defendant who has a lawyer and your lawyer's not? Or maybe doesn't realize they should do something. How much pull do you have? Like, do they have to listen to what you're telling them you want? Um, yeah, if you have an attorney who you feel is not following your best interests, you can always represent yourself. You can um, find another attorney. You can ask the court and the attorney to convert it to more of a standby counsel arrangement where you're representing yourself, but at time, uh, at times throughout proceedings or what, whatever you might um, need to seek the counsel or advice of an attorney, but you might be the one... Uh, you know, leading the case, so to speak. So each situation is different, but you really need to not just blindly trust an attorney who's representing you. You need to figure out, you know, what kinds of evidence do you think you have and uh, and talk strategy, have that conversation, that heart to heart with your attorney. If they say, oh, I don't think we should introduce that into evidence, or I don't think we should have that witness or whatever the case is, have the conversation about why, why is that? because maybe they can help uh, help you understand what their uh, frame of reference is, why they think it's best it, for you to not do what you're requesting. If you still don't feel settled about it, again, if, you, if your instincts are saying that your attorney is not representing your best interests, you're not stuck with that attorney. You can not have an attorney. You can have standby counsel. You can switch to another attorney. It just depends on what stage of your case is and, and if there's gonna be any delays to the case, um, that's the biggest thing that the court looks at when determining whether or not you could switch and have an, a different attorney halfway through. Um, and Joe on Facebook says, there's no such thing as a cop giving you a lawful order. I would say that might be true in many situations, but that's not 100% true. So, um, you know, if, if I have somebody trying to break and enter into my house or cause me physical harm, and as part of the protecting and serving, my local police show up and first thing they do is tell people to, you know, the people that don't live here to get off my property. Um, that's a lawful order. They could tell the criminals to get off my property and they have every right to do that um, because I don't want them here and they're here to harm me or take my property or whatever. So at any rate, there there is uh, there is some reason to having law enforcement, but let's go ahead and get started because I have some specific things I want to share with you today. And um, Lori, with that look on your face, I'm assuming you're like, yes, this is my time to be throw, thrown into timeout. So we're going to throw Lori, not in the closet, as some have said, <laughs> but we're going to put her in the little background uh, corner and, um, and go about what we were doing. So I'll give you a second here. All right. Um, so today... Um, we're talking about preserving your rights or protecting your rights before and during an appeal and being very strategic about it or, or answering it from one of the basic questions. Um, so appeals can only be filed and won by attorneys, right? Wrong. There's no need to think about the requirements for an appeal until you've lost your case, right? Also very wrong. So today, uh, we want to walk you through the what and the how of appeals so you don't lose your rights before you've realized what it even takes to protect them. So we talked about the when and the where of appeals already. Um, on Thursday, when I share this Constitution segment recap uh, video and slideshow, you'll be able to click right on these slides and it'll take you to season one, episode 33, the actual uh, episode video, as well as the slideshow that went along with that. Um, and season two, episode nine as well, talking about the when and the where of appeals. But we also discussed more general concepts regarding appeals, season one, episode 20, season two, episode eight, season two, episode 11. And I have the various slideshows and even a PDF that um, I had shared previously as links for you guys to click again, right, um, right out of the slideshow that's gonna be shared with you on Thursday. So, all right. Um, so that's the when and where, the when and where of appeals we've covered before. So getting back to what today's topic is, today's topic is the what and the how. Again, these are just the highlights, like the the most, um, you know, 
important pieces to really start with. There's obviously an unending amount of laws and rules and regulations and court procedures and things that all relate to these topics and, and to appeals, but I'm not going to put you to sleep with all that today. I'm just telling you the stuff that you need to know right now. Why right now? What if you're not even in a case right now at a trial court? Well, like I said, stuff happens fast sometimes to us. You might be minding your own business, doing whatever it is that you do, and law enforcement could show up and get involved and maybe you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time, but all of a sudden there's a case of some kind, criminal or civil or whatever, that you're involved with. And you might need to just have those some of those concepts, so some of those basic instincts about what to do and how to do it. And this is exactly what we're going to do. Again, we're talking how to preserve your rights before an appeal is even something that uh, you would otherwise think of. So in an appeal, the what pretty simple. Well, either you think the law was violated by the court, the prosecutor, whomever. Um, maybe you think something went wrong procedurally. They skipped some big step. They denied you advice of counsel. They um, kept the public out, whatever the case is. Um, it's one of those two things. Those are the main concepts of what are you appealing. But a third point to keep in mind is because you're appealing something that's been done wrong at the lower court, the issue has to be brought up in the lower court first with rare exceptions, okay? So that is the biggest point I want you to really take away from this. You have to bring up your point at the lower court before you have a chance of bringing it up or succeeding on that point later on in an appeals court. So just to kind of develop that a little bit more, most appellate issues must be preserved. That's the term that they use, uh, just like they put preservatives in our food, right? This is to preserve your issues for appeal, which means that you have to first present those issues at the trial court level before you can raise them on appeal. Um, and, oh, I did read the Tyler versus Hennepin. Sorry, I'm going to pause myself. I just happened to notice that John on YouTube was telling me about a new United States Supreme Court uh, case that came out and he was telling me about it. Um, it's Tyler versus Hennepin County. Hennepin County is Minneapolis. In case uh, those of you don't know about uh, the Twin Cities area in Minnesota, I used to live in Hennepin County uh, many years ago. So at any rate, this is, um, it's actually a takings case and I have read it. Um, and, uh, there is some good to it. It's, it's, it's not the best decision that it could be just like Dobbs on the abortion issue or New York rifle on the second amendment issues, but it's going in the right direction. And it's essentially saying the government can't just take your property, uh, your house, your business, whatever, um, take your property for non-payment of, of taxes and then sell it and then keep all of the proceeds. Um, unfortunately, they seem to suggest that it's still okay to take the property and sell it as long as they give you any surplus in the proceeds. But anyway, that is the case. It's Tyler v. Hennepin County uh, that um, John is sharing that came out from the United States Supreme Court on May 25th, so less than a month ago. It is a good case, just not as good as it could be. Um, all right, so if you want to appeal and you've identified the substantive issues for the appeal, you first need to determine whether you need to file a trial court motion or do, essentially do you have to do something at the trial court level? So something went wrong. Something went wrong in your case. Like I said on the last slide, it's either the law was broken by the courts or the prosecutor or the cops or something or, you know, some sort of procedural uh, requirement was uh, they failed to meet it. Right. And that is what you would be appealing but you need to have that issue raised at the trial court level, uh, district court, circuit court, whatever. Um, you need to have that raised at that trial court level in some way before you can bring it up later on appeal. Now, why, again, why would you worry about an appeal? Well, let's put it this way. Um, there's a lot of judges that don't know or don't follow the law. Okay. So if you don't worry about possible appeal later, if you're not thinking the long game on how to best protect your rights, then you're precluding the option of raising any of those issues later on. And that's a big deal. 
so I have in here on this slide the specifics for court rules on how to file a motion. Um, that's giving you um, the civil court rule, uh, Michigan court rule 2.119A2, but also combining that with MCR, uh, Michigan court rule, 6.001D. And so chapter six is about criminal laws. So that particular part, um, that particular rule is only criminal, but um, it's still something that you need to do, whether it's a civil case, criminal case or whatever. So anyway, um, just wanted to give you some actual tangible court rules. Even if you're in another state, <clears throat> you can Google, <coughs> excuse me, Michigan court rules, just to see what those particular court rules are that I cited and give you an idea about what you would be looking for in your own state's court rules, because they're going to be, except for Louisiana, they're going to be largely similar in practice across the whole United States. Louisiana uh, is definitely a whole other animal there. All right, so what is the exception? Well, like I said, you have to raise any issue, any issue at all. Like you think the, uh, the cops didn't have probable cause to pull you over, okay? Um, or you think um, that there was some sort of defect in, you know, maybe you requested ADA accommodations and they were only partially granted and partially denied. Um, that'd be a procedural type of thing. Uh, so you think something went wrong at the trial court level. You have to object or file a motion or raise the issue in some way, either in writing or on the record, meaning during a court proceeding where records are being kept, a transcript is being made, etc. You have to raise that issue then um, in order to be able to fight for it later on. Because what the any appellate court would tell you, if you raise an issue and you're the that's the first court you brought it to, they're going to say, hey, you didn't even give the lower court an opportunity to handle this issue, to you know fully develop the facts uh, surrounding this issue or whatever. And that's really what their job is at the trial court level. So there's one big exception to this, and that's subject matter jurisdiction. Now, subject matter jurisdiction is something that if you punch it into my website, in the search bar, you'll see we've talked about it many, many, many times. Uh, but it's super important because, well, let's look at this. The United States Supreme Court in a 2002 case, this is just one of many countless examples. Every state has one of these kinds of cases, mind you says that subject matter jurisdiction, because it involves the court's power to hear a case, can never be forfeited or waived. Can never be forfeited or waived. If the court doesn't have jurisdiction over that kind of subject, then if they issue some kind of orders or judgments or whatever, you can raise it at any time and say, hey, wait, you know, I'm this is a bankruptcy court and they're trying to issue a divorce judgment. They can't do that. That's correct. If a bankruptcy court judge, as a bankruptcy court judge, is trying to enter some sort of judgment or issue an order in a divorce case, they can't do that. That would have that that order would have no subject matter jurisdiction. It would not be legally enforceable. And being able to fight against that on that basis, you can't waive that. You can't say, "Oh, I'm okay with the bankruptcy court judge issuing a judgment in my divorce case. That's fine." You can't agree to do it. You can't waive that issue. So the U.S. Supreme Court continued by telling us that because of that, defects in subject matter jurisdiction, where the court does not have subject matter jurisdiction, that requires correction regardless of whether the error was raised in district court. So um, the most common name for trial courts across the country is district court, certainly in the federal court system. They're called uh, trial courts are called district court. So what they're saying is uh, that's the one issue, subject matter jurisdiction. If you don't raise it um, at the trial court level, you can raise it for the first time on appeal. Okay, so um, I have a Michigan Court of Appeals case that I just wanted to keep in there for those of you in Michigan. Um, this is a Michigan uh, Supreme Court case. Uh, lack of subject matter jurisdiction may be raised at any time and cannot be waived. Like I said, each state has their own version of, of the case on that rule, um, not just the U U.S. Supreme Court. And if you raise that issue, especially before, when you're raising that issue before a trial has happened at the lower court level, the practical result is essentially it's going to prevent the trial from even taking place. 
It's going to stop it from happening rather than say, well, it just has to happen this way or that way. Now, uh, an even older case, 1938, from the U.S. Supreme Court, Johnson v. Zerbst. Yes, uh, Zerbst. What a great last name. Um, a judgment uh, pronounced by a court without jurisdiction is void. Okay, well, you don't even need to read the cases for that because why? Well, you need to look at the Constitution and um, all uh, anything that violates the Constitution or due process would be void as a matter of law under the uh, Article 6 of our U.S. Constitution. All right. So and it is a judge's job to be alert, to look at the facts in the law and figure out uh, if um, if there really is subject matters jurisdiction. It's their job to make sure they have jurisdiction before they move forward. OK, so that's that's the what. What about the how? Well, what court rules apply when you're looking at filing an appeal? Again, uh, today is not to bore you and put you to sleep by reading to you, like reading out of a phone book, reading to you all the court rules that the various states have. However, it's important that you at least know where to look. Your state, Florida and Michigan for sure have all this, but your state also, if you're in another state, most likely has general rules of court. Um, in Michigan, it's chapter one. In Florida, it's chapter two. You also have civil court rules that even in a criminal case, oftentimes the civil court rules still apply. In fact, in Michigan, I want to say it's court rule 6.001, maybe, uh, says that civil court rules apply in all criminal cases unless they specifically don't for some reason. It doesn't make sense that they would apply in that case. Um, Florida's rule is not as um, explicit about that, but at any rate, um, the civil court rules are chapter one in Florida, chapter two in Michigan. Criminal. Obviously, if it's a civil case only, you're not going to pull over from the criminal court rules, but if it's a criminal case, you will. And in Florida, that's chapter three. In Michigan, that's chapter six. Appellate rules. Now, in an appeal, um, you have obviously appellate rules and florida it's chapter nine of the court rules michigan is chapter seven um so what about the appellate rules you need to look at the appellate rules first and foremost for any kind of appeal because if there's some sort of contradictory procedure or something else like that then the appellate rules would control over the general civil or criminal court rules keep that in mind now we're talking about preserving your rights right now, knowing how to do that on your own without having to have an attorney. What are some of the main concepts? How do you make sure you don't lose the option of raising an issue later on? How to protect your rights right now before you're ever even thinking that you might need to appeal something? Well, it's to be thinking you might need to appeal something. Um, all right, so what kind of documents would be needed when you file an appeal? You need to have the basics about how to do it, right? In Michigan, you have, and we've talked about this before, there's two ways you can appeal. You either have the right to appeal or you have appeal by leave, meaning you have to ask the court for permission to allow you to appeal. Those are two different kinds of appeals that exist in virtually every jurisdiction. And Michigan courts actually give you a little checklist on how to get started on each of those cases. Again, you'll have this as a clickable link in the slideshow that'll be uh, released to you on Thursday. There's a jurisdictional checklist in the Court of Appeals um, specifically, so that will help you as well. And Michigan uh, is a, is a form-driven state, so if you're not sure how to do something, please check out the State Court Administrative Office, SCAO. If you literally Google SCAO, it should be the first 12 hits um, on a Google search. And if you search for SCAO appeals forms, you'll get this exact page, but uh, the link is also going to be right in our slideshow as well. So in Florida, Florida doesn't have the same kind of um, set of documents and, and fillable forms that Michigan does but um, it still has documents that are needed nonetheless. Again, this is not stuff you need to memorize. I just need you guys to know this is a resource. I want you to have it floating around at least in the back of your brain as you go about your business, right? So it's something you know it's here, you know it's something we've talked about before if and when you ever need to know these things. 
So what would you need to file? Well, I put the court rules um, often. I didn't put them all in there. Sometimes there's more than one court rule and it just was going <laughs> to clog up the screen. But for most of them, I put court rules. You need to file a notice of appeal. You need to tell the other side, hey, and the court, hey, I'm appealing this decision. You need to file your appellate brief. You need to file a certificate of service saying, I have served the other side with my appeal. Um, in Florida, there is something called a certificate of compliance regarding computer generated briefs. So you need to say, hey, I've, I've read all the court rules regarding filing briefs and appeals and to the best of my ability, I have made sure my document complies with the court rules. That's not something you have to do in Michigan. You have to follow the court rules, but you don't do a spe specific statement saying that you're following the court rules. Um, there's something called a designation to a court reporter um, because in Florida, it's like a whole other country in my mind um, as far as there's not automatically transcriptionists and court reporters at all the proceedings around here. You have to, um, as a party, you have to bear the cost of and and the the like the logistics of getting a court reporter to be there at a proceeding, or you have to record a court proceeding to then later on send to a court reporter and pay them thousands of dollars to type up the proceedings. So it's very it's a very unusual um type of thing in my book it should be 100 percent on the courts because what person is going to think i need to bring a court reporter with me what it does it's not something that comes naturally to me and i've been working in the legal field in in multiple states and jurisdictions for the last 20 years um reply brief that's something that um first is your brief then comes their answer brief, and then comes the reply brief, where you're just addressing whatever new stuff they brought up in their brief. And you might want to request oral argument. Some people are not so good at writing, but they're much better at explaining things verbally. That would be the kind of thing that you'd want to consider then um, and file a request for an oral argument. All right. What it is not... Not sure what your question or statement is, uh, Northern, on uh, YouTube. If you can rephrase that, um, I'd love to be able to address it for you. Um, you have to pay to put your case on record. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, that they make you pay and know ahead of time. You have to know ahead of time that you have, uh, um, that you want things recorded which is just, anyway, it's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing. If I would have known that in 2021, when we moved down here and we had court hearings, um, ended up going to the fifth district court of appeals and everything else when we had an attorney that was doing most of the work with me, um, but he died. So we were forced to represent ourselves and not given time to, to find other Florida attorneys. It's, um, it's, it's asinine. Yeah, it seems like something that would happen in Russia, not here. All right, so documents that may be needed. If you are challenging uh, the constitutionality of a state constitutional provision or state law or something of that nature, you have to let the state's attorney's office know, in Michigan to be the attorney general. Um, you have to file a notice of compliance that you have let them know. You have to, um, you might want to file a notice for relief from the judgment or order that has come out by a court. Um, if you want to look for an example of what that would be or how you would use it, you could look at the Ormond Beach case documents I have on the website, restorefreedomkh.com slash OB case. We'll take you to those directly. Um, you have to file your record on appeal. Now, um, in Michigan, it's mostly focusing on an, app an appendix and the courts, um, usually have the uh, requirement to, like the district court would have the requirement to send up the entire record to the circuit court or court of appeals, um, but then you would want to still, or maybe required to file an appendix that has all the exhibits, all of the court records, the prior orders, that kind of thing. Um, just keep in mind, you most likely will need to put together the record of appeal. Um, motion for stay, where you're asking the court to push pause on some sort of order or judgment that the trial court did. You might have to ask the lower court first 
and then you could ask an appeals court, but just something to keep in mind. Um, maybe you need a, you want a motion for a rehearing or motion for clarification. You want to ask the court, hey, could you clarify what you mean uh, by this order? Or what are we supposed to do in this situation? Or you might say, you know what, there's evidence or arguments I don't think the court was really fully informed on. There's a new situation that has revealed more information or a new case or a new whatever. Um, then you might file one of those kind of motions and a motion for sanctions where you're saying the other side screwed up so bad and they're acting so egregiously that they should have to pay penalties, essentially. Um, this is super tiny. So I know that you guys can't read this, even if you're watching it on a computer right now. Um, but it is something that will be again in the slideshow on, uh, Thursday, but this is how, how do you write a brief then, right? So we've talked about the where and the, when you file an appeal. We've talked about the what, and now we're talking about the how, specifically now, how to write a brief. What are the technical requirements? Well, it's super easy to get overwhelmed when you're representing yourself, or maybe you have an attorney, but you're just like, I don't know if this attorney is doing the right thing. This thing they put together, this brief they put together, I don't, I don't know. It feels like maybe it's not quite right, but I don't know what would be wrong about it specifically. Keep in mind, I put in here um, the Florida and Michigan court rules side by side that tell you, spell out for you the different parts of the brief. Now you'd wa actually want to, if you're putting together an appeals brief, you would actually want to thoroughly read these specific rules to know what they're saying about each of these things. But um, for the most part, I just wanted to give you that idea now before you're needing to appeal, before you might even be in a trial court case just something to have on the back of your mind. If you're appealing, your brief has to have a cover sheet, has to have a table of contents, table of citations, or in Michigan, it's called an index of authorities. Um, you have to give uh, the statement of the case, statement of the facts. So you're giving the procedural background, what got you to this point. And that you have to do in probably any jurisdiction. You have to let the court know what are the facts and what's the procedure that got you to the point where you're now filing an appeal. Um, so you're going to have to lay out, you know, what did you do? Did you file objections or, you know, did you raise objections? Did you um, file certain motions? Did you introduce certain evidence? Did you fight for yourself the way that you needed to at the trial court level? That's something to keep, keep in mind. That's why they ask for the facts and the procedure at the very beginning of a brief in any state, because they want to make sure that they know what's been done, what what um, foundation has been laid um, in the meantime. Um, it, there's some other technical requirements and I'm not gonna go over each one of these, but you need to have your argument on each issue. You need to have uh, the specific relief sought that you're asking for. So keep in mind, whatever you're asking the court to do, if you ever think that you might ever need to appeal something, you need to know what is the issue and what are you asking the court to do about that issue? Because if if you don't even know what, if you're just saying, hey, this is a problem, they violated the law. Okay, great, they violated the law. The court needs to know exactly what you're asking it to do. Are you asking for them to dismiss a case? Are you asking for them to award you damages? Are you asking for them to do whatever? Roger Sullivan on Facebook up in the UP says that in the second type of appeal where you ask the court for permission, what do you do if they say no? Well, that's what happened in my Allegan County case. So I started in the district court. I went up to the circuit court for appeal. That dumbass judge didn't know any of the laws, court rules, statutes, or constitutional provisions that she's supposed to be enforcing. And her orders clearly indicated that. Um, so she very ignorantly put together um, rejections of my appeal, which I then brought to the next highest court. I then appealed those decisions to the Michigan Court of Appeals. Uh, if the Court of Appeals and the Court of Appeals um, did deny saying, no, we're just not gonna hear your case. Didn't say I was wrong, just say we're not gonna hear your case. Um, they did that on two different appeals that, uh, that I filed in regard regarding the Allegan County situation. Um, my next move was then to appeal it to the, uh, the state Supreme Court. I, I was burnt out and we were moving down here and that was not a time that I was able to do that. Luckily, I ended up getting the case dismissed some other way by you know, continuing to fight. Again, at least I brought up some of the issues, uh, all of the issues were brought up at trial 
and I was trying to file an immediate or interlocutory appeal before the trial court even held the trial. Anyway, the whole point is you got to know what your issues are and you have to know what you're asking the court to do and you have to be able to spell that out to them. Now, how do you identify issues and organize your brief? Well, first of all, the the best thing I can say, and I've written many, many briefs and, and motions throughout my years, um, the best thing that you can do is to, is to look at the U.S. Constitution, look at um, the Bill of Rights, and look at the 14th Amendment. So Amendments 1 through 10 and 14. Then go and look at your state constitution. Most likely, like Michigan and Florida and many other states, you have a section called Declaration of Rights. In Michigan and Florida, it's the entire first article of the state constitution. You need to read the Declaration of Rights in your state constitution. So looking at the first 10 amendments and the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and your Declaration of Rights from the state constitution, you need to figure out what it is that is a possible issue. How did your government go wrong? What rights of yours did they violate? What power did they exercise that they didn't have the authority to exercise? And how has it harmed you? That is the best place to start. All the other laws and rules and things will fall into place. For example, the 14th Amendment talking about due process. In my latest brief that I just filed in uh, Florida, uh, in my appeal over all the issues we're having with the city of Ormond Beach, you can follow along. Well, that's exactly what I'm telling you in the next point here. Uh, my brief that I just filed this month in Ormond Beach, uh, in the Ormond Beach case, or the brief that I filed a year ago in the Allegan County case. Both of those briefs, they're specific. So even if you've looked at other briefs of mine before from Allegan County, you probably haven't seen this particular one. I picked this one for a reason. Both the ones that I shared with you um, in this slide where you'll be able to click on the links uh, once you get it on Thursday. Um, those two briefs very specifically walked through the Constitution to be able to say, okay, well, here I was denied my Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable searches and seizures. I was denied my Eighth Amendment right against uh, cruel and unusual punishments and excessive fines. I was denied my right to due process. I was denied my right to equal protection under the law. I was denied my uh, pr protections against uh, taking without uh public use and just compensation, those kinds of things. I literally walked through the Constitution, and you if you look at that table of contents we talked about that's needed in all briefs, look at that table of contents, you'll be able to see, now I didn't spell out 14th Amendment, 5th Amendment, 4th Amendment, 8th Amendment, but what I did do is use those key phrases in there about how Ormond Beach, or how Allegan, in that case, um, violated a specific right that I have, my right against unreasonable seizures, for example. So um, at any rate, that is going to be the best possible way that you can do that. So what do you need to know from the onset? Don't just wait till you're full into a case and needing to appeal. Don't wait till you're in the middle of a trial court case to figure out what issues you should be looking at. Don't even wait till there's, the, you know, a court case even started of any kind. Right now, make sure you know frontward and backward the 1st through 10th Amendments and the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and your state constitution's Declaration of Rights. Make sure you know those frontward and backward, up and down, inside and out. You need to know those like the back of your hand. You need to be able to know them so well don't worry about the cases and how the courts have interpreted any of those provisions. Read the words yourself. Pull open that Constitution and read the actual words of the Constitution yourself. Don't complicate it. It doesn't matter what your, your um, education level is. As long as you can read in general, you need to read the Constitution specifically Bill of Rights and the 14th Amendment and your state's Declaration of Rights section, because that is the best way that you can prevent having to have a case later on. It's the best way you can communicate with law enforcement personnel, uh, other citizens, whatever, about what rights are being implicated in the moment and be able to fight for your rights and raise certain issues right from the start. That is exactly 
um, where everything starts. So, oh, let's see. I also left in here the full text from the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution, the 14th Amendment. Those are the due process protections. Um, I left in here the Florida state and Michigan state constitutional provisions about due process um, and some other um, concepts, some big concepts about the First Amendment and um, things like that, um, because I, it's, it's important to know the, the context, right, of some of these things. Um, Roger, if you're still watching on Facebook, um, this was a, a quote or a sentence right out of one of my briefs, uh, something that you and I had been talking about recently, um, about the publicity of trials, the open forum of what happens in court. It's very, and a very important role in ensuring and preventing abuse serving as a natural check on unjust prosecution and abuse of judicial power. Um, so uh, the question had been posed to me about recording what you're doing when you're in a courthouse and um, too many courts in Michigan, Florida, and other states have this preemptory like, oh, you're not allowed to record what's happening in a courtroom. BS. We've already, that those issues have already been tackled in the US Supreme Court which ironically enough <laughs> also prohibits people from recording. Uh, so it's a big mess, but it's something we need to fight back for. Um, again, this is more support for uh, being able to have that watchful eye uh, in court proceedings. Um, but anyway, some more issues um, and cases on point. Um, and Yep, there's a lot I had in here, Roger, if you're still listening, there's a lot of these tan colored slides that you're going to want to check out on Thursday. Um, all right, so um, rights to consider, again, just wanted to reiterate some of the rights that are the most commonly uh, um, abused rights that we have, our right to equal protection under the law, our right to due process of law, our right to have um, that Republican form of government. And I have right in here the U.S. constitutional provisions where those concepts are found, as well as a couple of the places from the Michigan Constitution as well. Um, Sixth Amendment rights. Um, again, uh, I have some more information here, uh, the real life case examples, um, the specific ones I alerted you to earlier that I have links for in previous slides. Those are the main ones that relate to the specific topics we're talking about. But if you need to take it that step back and see how things play out in the normal course of an entire case, go to uh, restorefreedomkh.com slash resources and then go to the case documents uh, section where you'll see um, the Allegan County case documents and the Ormond Beach case documents. Um, I just threw the links for all of those right here in here. Oops, that's last week's true or false question. That's interesting. Um, I wanna make sure that you also remember, cause it's been a couple weeks now, check back in on the Wednesday way to get involved challenge that we'll have for you tomorrow. That Thursday constitution segment recap is gonna be super important because this week's slideshow has a bunch of links directly in there that'll help you um, be able to navigate some of these issues and just to be a little bit more comfortable with some of these topics for if and when you ever need to know this stuff. Um, of course, our freedom fighting tools on Friday most likely are going to include some of those links that we have right in the Thursday slideshow. Um, and don't forget to support us on Saturday with our Restore Freedom goodie that we'll be sharing with you. Um, and I'm just looking. All right. Um, yes, John James on YouTube says always set up your case, set your case up for appeals before ever going to court. In other words, lay that foundation lay it all out make sure if you have any kind of legal argument or factual argument at all that is going to help your case that you are putting it right out in there you're putting it in your motions in your briefs in the complaint uh you're raising it on the record at motion hearings or uh you know pre-trial conferences or status conferences or whatever kinds of hearings might be on the record uh raise these issues when you're in a hearing or an evidentiary hearing or a trial, make sure you're making objections. If you have an attorney representing you, 
it doesn't mean you should just sit back and not know what some of the common objections are or some of the ways to fight back because if your attorney refuses to do it then you need to be prepared to do it tell them to object or stand up yourself and do it be able to have the knowledge that you need to fight for your own rights because no one is going to fight harder for your rights than you will um all right so with that being said i think i got um I think I got everything there. Let me show Lori. Make sure you're not picking your nose, Lori. I just put you back on the screen. And I have to move it again. That's so weird. Here, I'll move it back. All right. So, Lori, was there anything else um, that we didn't get to from the comments today that people had questions? I think we pretty much. I think I think we pretty much covered them. Yeah. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Um, so uh remember guys check out these resources and again it's not the most riveting topic always that we cover but what i'm trying to do is give you the tools to fight for yourself to protect your rights too often the way our system is is set up it's so convoluted it's so complex it's so overwhelming uh, we have so many different levels and branches of government, and each one has their own red tape and BS. And if you just play the ostrich, right, if you if you stick your head in the sand and just expect all the problems to go away, they get worse. And sometimes it becomes too late to fight for that right, to fight for that particular freedom that you shouldn't have had to give up in the first place. And although... Our God-given rights are supposed to be inalienable, that people can't take them away from us. We know darn well the government does its job and more to take away our rights in droves, okay? So we can't expect that we're going to be able to just hang on to these constitutionally protected God-given liberties unless we're willing to stand up at a moment's notice and fight back against any government agent or officer or employee. And we have to know how to do it. We have to know the system well enough to fight back. And since the whole system is screwed and it's, it's you know, convoluted and been polluted by, you know, government officials for decades, and we the people have allowed it to happen, where we start is to understand the big concepts, the basics, the things that will at least move you from point A to point B and give you that framework to be able to fill in the rest along the way. Um, and John James on YouTube says, once you waive a right, it is a huge uphill battle to get it back. And some of them, supposedly you can't get back, okay? Some of them, once you waive it, it's waived. Whatever that right may have been, it's gone. It's no longer there for you. Don't let that happen to you. So, um, and uh, the question from Roger being uh, on Facebook now, are circuit court clerks required to take the oath, meaning the oath of office, the constitutional oath? Well, if nothing else, Roger, if you're talking about circuit court clerks in Michigan, uh, specifically in the UP, which I think you're talking about, then look at MCL or Michigan State Law, MCL 15.151. So look at uh, Article 11, Section 1 of the Michigan Constitution that requires the oath of office, and then also look at MCL 15.151, because if you work in any level branch of whatever, of government in Michigan, even if you're a volunteer, even if you're the janitor, at a local elementary school, if you work for government for pay or volunteering your time, you are required by law to take that constitutional oath to defend and support the U.S. and state constitutions. So the answer is absolutely 100% yes, but now you have the statutes and uh, constitutional provisions to back it up. There's also a lot of other, in the state of Michigan, I will actually say, I'm proud of the fact that the number of times it is written into state law that someone or a particular government agency or official or whomever is required to take the constitutional oath, it's actually staggering. I don't even know how many times it's in there. It's in there a lot. But the most uh, broad sweeping ones, like I said, are um, Article 11, Section 1 of the Michigan State Constitution and Michigan State Law 15.151. All right. Um, 
So always invoke, protect, and defend your rights. That is a perfect note to leave it on. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you have certain topics you think are important for us to cover on uh, a certain, you know, just an informative basis that you think would be helpful to the people as a whole, let us know because uh, I want to walk people through the things that I think are going to be the most helpful to defending, invoking, protecting your rights, as John James has said here on YouTube. All right, everyone, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you join us for our segments this week and also for our full episode next Tuesday at noon. Um, and we look forward to seeing you then.